Give the Lord one more shout this morning. Amen. So many beautiful people here today. Had a great first service and so many eating out there. Thank you, Jesus. Christians love our food, don't we? There's not much more in life we can do but eat. Eat and go to church. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> we do love our food, though, huh? Well, it's so good to see everybody here. While our team's uh, finding their way down, I just want to talk about that missions trip for a minute. Um, I'm so excited about this trip. It'll be kind of our first church missionary trip, and I just believe in that. I think you should take a mission trip if you're able to do it because it really changes your life. It changes your perspective on life. It gives you appreciation for America. I remember my first time out of the country, I went to Costa Rica. I took about 300 teenagers with me. That alone will put gray hair on you immediately. The day we landed, one of our girls had an appendicitis attack, throwing up one end and the other end too. Her mom couldn't get in country, so she had to have surgery right in the country. And I remember when I walked across that American border, I literally knelt down and kissed the ground. I was so excited. Because how many know there's so much freedom in America? Amen prosperity and wealth, and it was just wonderful to be back. But anyway, if you want to be a part of that, I highly encourage you. The one thing you have to be working on right now, though, is getting your passport. Uh, but they do have something else now that's just kind of like a, a card that can get you coming and going. It's not really a passport. It's less expensive. So check into that. That's all the information I know about it, but I did learn about it last week. So anyway, I'm so glad all of you are here. I am starting part two of our series called After You Die. What a wonderful title, amen? After You Die. Let's go to church. You're going to hear about how, what's going to happen when we die. But uh, I just really felt led, you know, as pastoring this church is, you know, my heart is preparing the way. I kind of feel like John the Baptist sometime or, or maybe uh, Noah. You know, he shouted out, there's going to be a flood and nobody would listen. And, and I feel like that kind of clarion voice right now in the kingdom of God that God is preparing his church for a move of his spirit. And he's really wanting us to get ready, get positioned, have a revelation of who we are in Christ Jesus and really know the word of God, amen? Believers, we should know the word of God. And so it's been in my heart to really uh, equip you to understand your faith, uh, one, so that you really understand yourself scripturally, what the Bible says when we die. Uh, last week I talked about our soul leaves our body, our spirit leaves, and we go eternity into heaven if, if you know Jesus as your Savior. And I just encourage you to jump online and listen to that one if you missed it. Uh, that way you can kind of catch up and be a part of the entire series, but I think you should know your faith, amen? I think you should be able to share what happens after you die. And then also somebody who doesn't have Jesus, what happens to them? What a white throne judgment they're going to face. I just think we need to know that, amen? We don't want no dumb sheep. Say, I ain't no dumb sheep. You ain't no dumb sheep. You are mature Christians in Jesus, amen? And so this week I have the wonderful privilege of talking about the horror of hell. And uh, last week it was interesting because when I announced that, I felt like everything went in slow motion. As soon as I said hell, it was like everything went into hell, you know? And it's like I heard it go hell, hell, hell. It's like it bounced off the back wall and came right back at me because it's just not something we hear in the church very often. I have to admit to you, it's not one of the most comfortable things that I am challenged as a pastor to talk about because we want to make you feel good, but this message will make you feel good. I promise you it's going to give you truth, but I also want you to have a reality that hell is a very real place, and I believe, I know, the enemy has lulled the church to sleep on that reality, and today, I want to poke that bear. I want to awaken that truth according to the word of God, amen? Not my own opinion, but what does 
does the word of God have to say? So next week, they'll come back, and you can bring all your friends, because I'm going to talk about the glory of heaven and what's going to happen when we spend eternity with Jesus. But this morning, I'm going to talk to you about hell and the horror of hell and what the word of God says. So I'm going to share with you a couple things this morning. One of them is the righteousness of a holy God. How many know we serve a holy God? And when Jesus came, he came as a high priest. He came as a humble servant. But when he comes again, amen, he's coming as the king of kings, and he's coming as the Lord of lords. He's coming with righteousness. He's coming with justification. And he's coming to take his bride, his church, back with him. And we need to understand the nature of God. And then the second thing I'm going to talk about is the indescribable horror of what hell is really like. And if we don't accept the reality of hell, if we're lulled to sleep that it was just a good story or, or boy, religious people made it up back in the day to scare us into heaven or whatever, if we don't accept the reality of hell, listen to this, we will never appreciate the glory of the gospel. We will never appreciate the goodness of Jesus Christ because Jesus came to give us life and give it to us eternally, amen? And that's awesome, but he also rescued us from the pit of eternal damnation, a place where there's no presence of God and we'll get into scripturally what that is all about. And I remember I grew up in a denominational church, a wonderful church, Assemblies of God, and they're very, uh, at the time anyway, was very much about sharing the gospel. We had a very evangelistic pastor, so we had a revival back then when we attended that church. And they always showed these little videos um, you've been left behind. Has anybody ever seen those? Anybody grow up with those videos? I remember I used to be on my bike as a little kid. I was probably like eight or something. I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun is coming. You've been left behind. I mean, what, what a horrible thing, right? I mean, it's wonderful, but in my heart was always talking about, you're going to go to hell if you don't have Jesus, you know? And I'm like, I don't want to go to hell, Jesus. I want to go to heaven. So the message sometimes can be fear-based. You know, you don't want to go to hell. And we don't want to preach that way, but we have to understand the reality that hell does exist. So when we understand that, we're not just trying to preach a hell and damnation, but the truth of it's eternal separation from God, amen? And I'm going to show you scripturally that this is true. But I remember one day I walked into my house and my mom, we lived on a farm, and, um, and in the video they show you like two workers were together and one disappeared and construction went down and then a bus crashed in. You know, we saw all these pictures. Well, I walked into my house and I'm um, walking to the kitchen and my mom's always home when we got home from school, always there. So this was normal. So I walk in and there's water boiling and my mom is nowhere to be found. I'm like, oh my God, I've been left behind. Jesus came and I'm going to hell, you know. I started screaming and crying. Of course, my mom heard me. She was out in the barn coming, what's the matter? I'm like, I thought I was going to hell. I thought Jesus came. <laughs> Nobody wants to go to hell, do we? But I think we need to understand the reality. It's not just a sweet by and by place. It is scripturally a place that those who do not have Jesus will spend eternity in. So why are we talking about hell, Pastor Barr? Why do you have to bring this up? Because I brought this up last week, and it is what you believe about eternity determines how you'll live today. What you believe, this morning I'm asking the Holy Spirit to awaken and give us a revelation, because it doesn't happen overnight, but I'm asking this truth to come up on the inside of you, that if you believe eternity, that there's a place except Jesus Christ will spend eternity in. If you can get that revelation, how you wake up tomorrow, you will live differently. 
You will make different choices, won't we? You'll have a, a more courageous faith. You'll have a, a more, more boldness because you don't know if that's their last moment to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So you're going to be bold because you believe in eternity. Next week, we're going to hit heaven, and it's going to be awesome. We're going to shout from the rooftops. But today, we're going to talk about hell because we want to get everybody we love to not go there. We want to get people in this city who have no hope, no joy, no peace, and end life to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior so that they don't have to experience that time away from the Lord. So what you believe about eternity determines what you, how you live today. If you believe you're an accident and life just happens and we can do the sweet by and by, you'll live your own life, won't you? You'll make your own decisions. But if you believe that you were born with a purpose, for a purpose, by a God who gave you purpose, you'll make better decisions in our life. I want to look at some statistics this morning as I studied this lesson. They did this research that 74% of Americans believe in heaven. They really do believe in heaven, but only four out of 10 of them believe that those that reject Christ will go to hell. Only four out of 10 believe that that's true. And if you go down to those who really believe that they're going to hell, one, half of 1% people don't even really believe they're going to go there. They believe that people who are rapists, this is what they studied, terrorists, people that were murderers, bad people are going to go to hell, not good people. People who live a good life, who maybe take care of their neighbors, take care of their wives. And how many know we need to be good? But good will not get us to heaven. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ the Son. That's what the Bible says. And so Jesus is trying to change this way of thinking that just good people is going to go to heaven. There is a teaching in our culture today. And that's why when I mentioned the word hell, and maybe it was just my own feeling, or maybe there was some response of the people, that we don't want to talk about hell because it's uncomfortable, you know, but God is so clear in the word of what hell is really about. So I want to look at Matthew 7, 13 through 14 this morning, and it says this, enter through the narrow gate, say the narrow gate. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road, that leads to what? Destruction. I want to stop there for a minute because in the world today, there is a wide road to happiness, isn't there? You can find whatever religion, whatever belief system, whatever you want, whatever feels good to you, if you want new age, if whatever it wants, there's this wide road of acceptance. And what has happened in the kingdom of God, instead of the word of God being straight and narrow, even though it can be challenging and it can be hard, and sometimes it offends us and it cuts us, but that's when you know it's truth when it offends you, amen? So the church needs to be speaking truth, but what has happened, is the enemy has deceived us through the love message, and God is love, right? He doesn't act in love. He is love, but he also says there's a wide gate. So what's happened is in the church, we've opened up the wide way to Jesus. Don't worry about being convicted. Don't worry about confessing your sins. There is a spirit of inclusion in the world today. It's a teaching that's been around for years and years, but it seeped its way back into the body of Christ that nobody needs to receive Jesus. Nobody needs to confess him as their savior. You can live what you want and everybody's going to heaven. That's the wide road. And what did our scripture verse say there? Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Can you put that back up there, sweetheart? What's it lead? To destruction. And who knows that? The devil knows that. He's like, if I can put a little bit of truth in the church, but make everybody feel good. The Bible says in the last days, there'll be itching of ears, 
Tell me what makes me feel good. Tell me what makes me feel like a champion, and I want to do that. And this should make you feel like a champion, that we're going to win a city to Jesus and take him from the gates of hell, amen, because we have God living on the inside of us. But he's saying, go through the narrow way. The narrow way is uncomfortable. Jesus starts to get in your junk, doesn't he? He starts to convict you. He starts to trouble your heart for the things that trouble him. He starts to say, hey, these friends got to go. This behavior's got to go, and we don't like that do we but it goes on to say in verse 14 but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and there are only a few who find it see the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ and it was something we should never be ashamed of it's something we should never be lulled to sleep of we should not be bullied by the world to try us to be oh sensitive to how they feel no I am taking you out of hell and I'm gonna bring you to heaven with me amen so that's why I'm so passionate about that so as I was studying this these scriptures out I thought to myself if I was the devil and I'm not, thank you, Jesus. But what would be a good strategy of the devil? It would to convince the church or the world that there really is no hell. Or it's no really, it's not a big deal. Seriously, why would God send people to hell? And if the enemy can desensitize the world and the church, he will lull us to sleep to step into the calling God has called the church to rise to. We will live however we want to live. We will justify the sin in our life. Come on, somebody. I'm not a sin-conscious preacher, but I believe we're living in a time in the kingdom where God is convicting us of the things in our life he wants out. Amen? I've always said, if I don't feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that would trouble me. Because I don't want to be in a place that my ears are so seared by God that he's not even troubling me with the things that are wrong in my life. You should invite the Holy Spirit and Lord, trouble my heart. The church needs to be ready because God is coming by his spirit. And I'm making sure as your pastor that we are bringing you in to what God is about to do because a wave of his spirit is coming. And those who are paying attention, those who are renewing their faith and their fire for God will be right in the middle of what he's about to do. And you won't be swished away on the phrase of deception. Because the devil's going to come in these end times to deceive the very elect, if possible. Why? Because he's lulling us to sleep. He's making us weak. And as soon as you're weak, he'll push you and make you feel okay. And in fact, he's desensitized that hell is real. And the Holy Spirit is real. And he convicts us. Amen? If the devil can get the believer to believe that hell is whatever, just a little fairy tale. We, what we do with hell is we just push it away, don't we? We just live our life and we don't think much about hell. And when that happens, you'll live a self-centered life. You'll begin to idol, idol, make idols your comfort. You'll be, well, I want the comfort of life. You'll reject the sacrifice that God is calling us to be sacrifices of. How many know walking away from situations or relationships you shouldn't be in is not easy? It is not easy to obey God, is it? I've had to obey God in some tough situations that I did not understand why he called me to do them, but I trusted him. But see, when you're spiritually minded, you'll make those sacrifices. But if you're earthly minded and you don't, you're not following eternity, those sacrifices aren't a big deal. 
Why do I need to make them? They're not important. If the enemy has got you lulled to sleep, you, I want to avoid persecution. I don't want nobody to not like me. We're in this generation. I want everybody to love me. But guess what? The message of Jesus will be offensive, and it will be controversial. But you know what? Not to the world. Maybe to religious people if you're standing up in your faith, but the world wants the truth. Amen? Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Forget our controversies. Forget all the theology garbage. Lift up the name of Jesus. Amen. That's all you got to be concerned about is share the love of Jesus Christ. So the enemy will lull us to sleep to avoid persecution. But something I wrote down that was leaped in my spirit was, if you don't believe that there's an eternity of hell, you'll have no spiritual urgency. Why would I want to wake up and win people to Jesus if hell really doesn't exist? If there is an eternal damnation, if there isn't a place that is real that people will have no second chances in. But when you have that revelation, when you get that truth on the inside of you, you will wake up every day, who can I win to Jesus? Who can I show the love of God to? Who can I lay hands on and give hope and administer the love of God, amen? So it raises the question this morning, which I'm hoping I can answer for you. If God is a good God, has anybody ever thought about this or asked, if, a good, if God is so good and loving, then why is there a hell? Why does hell exist? Does anybody, you don't have to raise your hands if you don't want to. I'm going to give you two this morning. There's so much in the word of God in hell. I just encourage you to do your own study. Write down these scripture verses. Take it home and study even deeper so you get a revelation. But I'm going to give you two quickly this morning. One, hell exists for God to deal righteously with Satan. Hell exists for God to deal righteously with Satan. And what happens in the world we live in because of social media and, and movies, what has it done? It's desensitized us on the real influence of the devil. We think he's just maybe this cute little red outfit with the pitchfork, and he's just some fairy tale. But I want to um, um, enlighten you this morning that Satan is what? He's the embodiment of, embodiment of all evil in the world. Behind every addiction that is destroying people's lives is satanic influence. Behind everything that happens, abuse and fear and pain and shame is a spiritual enemy here on this earth. When Jesus came, he defeated Satan, amen? We know that. We have all power and authority, but he has been given jurisdiction here on earth. He hasn't been defeated by Jesus yet. So hell, God will come, Jesus will come and throw Satan into the pit of hell, which I'll share the scripture verse in just a minute. But what you have to understand is that the enemy is real, and he roams around as a lion seeking whom he may devour, and he will bring it through deception. He will whittle it into deception into the church of God so that we get away from the true word of God that will change and transform lives. The enemy is behind addiction. He's Behind abuse, if your marriage is struggling, the Bible says your battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. If you study out what the word of God calls the devil, it's not a short list. The Bible calls him a destroyer. He's a deceiver. He's the dragon, the dark angel. He's the serpent, the enemy, the tempter, the wicked one, the thief. The Bible says that he is the father of all lies. 
How many of you in your marriages, the enemy comes in, and it just comes in like a flood of lies, brings dissension, brings right, opposition, causes all of a sudden all these warrings going on. That is the enemy of this world. And what does the devil do? He wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill your faith. He wants to take away your good health. He wants to ruin you financially. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to take, take your children out of the kingdom of God. That's why I was so connected when Pastor Say prayed that today. The devil is fighting for our generation like never before with dissension, dissension and division against the kingdom of God. That they don't even know if God is really real. How many know we know God is real? Hell exists for God to deal righteously with Satan. And John penned the scripture verse, Revelations 20, 20 says this, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. What's gonna happen when Jesus comes back for his church? The enemy is gonna be thrown into hell and he's gonna be burned for eternity. The righteousness of God has not executed yet until God returns again for his church. So hell exists for Satan and the enemy to be thrown into. Even the Bible says that when the devil is exposed in the last days and the church sees the devil for who he is, we're gonna say, that is what deceived me all these years? That is what destroyed my marriage? That is what got me offended? That stole my joy and my peace because he's nothing, but he moves through our emotions and deception here on earth. But God's gonna have the final say, amen? God's gonna throw him into the eternal lake of fire. Let's keep going. Why does hell exist? To deal righteously with Satan. Number two, hell exists for God to deal righteously with unbelievers who don't know him who haven't surrendered their lives to Christ. This can be a very challenging and complicated area to share with someone because nobody wants to believe that good people go to hell. It's very challenging. I, I know many of you sitting in this room or listening online have someone that is just a good person in your life. They're good people. They may be better than some Christians who call themselves Christians, right? But listen, good is not gonna get people to heaven. It's only through Jesus Christ the Son and we can't be deceived, well, be deceived by the enemy. Well, they're so good. I can just blink my eyes, and they're going to be just fine. They're going to go to heaven. We can't just turn a deaf ear to this. It's interesting because people here on earth, how many ever seen something on social media that was injustice done, whether to a child or somebody was killed or murdered or raped? What rises up in us as humans? Justice needs to be served for them. How can they get away with doing that? There's an instinct in us. They better pay for what they've done, right? But it's the same people who say that, argue, we get into this place, well, God should love everybody. God's a, a, a God of love and of mercy and of grace, but he's not without justice. And that's where we're deceived in the church today. We've got this love grace message, which is awesome. And in Christ, you are saved. In Christ, you are forgiven. I'm talking about the world that is lost and dying, and we are afraid to share our faith. We're intimidated by our faith. God will serve justice to the unbeliever because sin is a mockery against God. That's why he sent his son, Jesus. Everybody here on earth has this moment while they're breathing air to say yes to a living Savior. And it is our responsibility of the church, not just say, oh, they're going to get to heaven, which is awesome, but we're going to pull them from hell, from eternal damnation. And I'll share that with you in just a minute. 
But what happens is because we get in this love boat, you know, the church has been lulled to sleep and God's love and grace and mercy, we have changed God, who is a God of justice, into being who we need him to be. I need God to be full of grace because I have some sin in my life I don't want to deal with. I've got some compromise. God's been convicting me, but God would never do that. God loves unconditionally, and is that true? Yes, but it also has deception in it because if God is convicting you of sin, he is troubling you with something that you need to repent of and turn away from. Amen? We can't remake God into this, oh, this loving God to justify our sin. It's not scriptural. It's humane in our fleshly nature, but it is not scriptural. Because when God comes, he's calling, coming for those who have his, their names written in the Lamb's book of life. It's very clear, amen? It's impossible for God to be holy without being just. Let me say that again. It's impossible for God to be holy without him being just. He will do according to what his word says to do. Hell exists for God to deal righteously with those who are in their sin and don't know Christ. Let me share with you what scripture has to say about that. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8 through 9. He will punish those who do not know God. That's hard to choke, isn't it? But God says, I will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are not just coming to church to have a happy little service and go away feeling good. And that's a big part of it. But the other part is we are here for a lost and dying world. We are here for people who have no hope, no joy, and when they close their eyes here on earth, they are going to face eternity with or without God. And there is a punishment coming. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. It's a horrible place to be. We take for granted the world today because we have the Holy Spirit here on earth. We have no idea the torment that it will be in hell to have no presence of God. No light, no glory. We'll talk about that in a minute. If we don't accept the reality of hell, we'll never appreciate the glory of what Jesus did for us. This morning, I quickly want to give you a little bit about what the word says, a glimpse glimpse of hell. And I want to give you scripturally that uh, Jesus shows us in the word of God in Luke chapter 16. He gives us insight to what it might look like in a small scale says there in Luke 16, there was a rich man, everybody say rich man, who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. If you study out this scripture, this man was really rich. I don't know if anybody follows the Kardashians, but like Kylie Kardashian, billionaire, wealthy, super rich. And we know that because purple is the color of royalty and only the very wealthy could afford, they would take this very rare, um, Uh, dye, and they would dye the clothes royal purple, which means they had a lot of money, right? I also went on to say that linen, that one linen that they had, a piece of linen, if they sold that linen, one piece, it could feed a family for one year. That's how wealthy this man was. Crazy rich. Everybody say crazy rich. So here's this rich guy living his life. Verse 20 goes on with the story. It says, at his gate, the rich man's gate, laid a beggar. His name was Lazarus covered with sores. You have a rich guy and a poor guy. And longing to eat what fell from the man's table. This this poor guy was looking for just the crumbles that would fall off the table or onto the floor, begging for food. 
And what you have to understand is the very wealthy in that time, they would eat their bread and they'd take their full. And because they had so much money, they would actually take bread on the table and they would crumble it. I don't know why. I think it'd be worse in my mind. But they would clean their hands with it. They'd take the bread and clean their hands with it. And bread would fall on the floor or it would fall on the table, whatever they were carelessly doing. And the servants would come along and what they would do is sweep up all the bread off the floor or off the table and they would go serve it to the dogs for grace and mercy to the dogs. And here's this beggar outside going, could you just at least give me a morsel of what you'd feed the dogs so I can be happy? And then we go on in the rest of this story. What happens? The rich man dies and Lazarus dies, and they both end up in a place. And this is what I want to show you what happens. Verse 22, the time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Or if you study that out, it's called Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades. He was buried where? In Hades, where he was in torment. Now, I want to stop there for a minute because I want you to understand Hades. The word Hades is a Greek word. It also is the same word in the Old Testament, if you studied it, called Sheol. And maybe some of you have heard that before. There's Hades and Sheol. This is not the same place as hell. If you study out scripture verses, Haiti is a temporary place that unbelievers go until the return of Christ. So we've got Abraham's bosom, which is the believers, and we know a little bit about that. And then we've got Hades is where sinners go, and they are in reservation until God comes again and takes them into hell. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. So here he is, and he's in, in Hades in this temporary place, and you've got the rich man over here in hell. And, and the Bible says what? In torment. And then there's this abyss that happens that we don't fully understand. And I don't know if God just allowed them to see or if it's something we will always see when we get to heaven. We don't know until we get there. But on the other side, we see Abraham, and they could see each other, and they could talk to one another. And Lazarus was a believer in Christ. He did the right thing, and he went into Abraham's bosom. And this is where we find the two stories. So I want you to look here. He looked up, the uh, rich man, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, he's saying when he's in hell, he's crying up, pity on me, send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Why? He's saying, because I'm in serious pain, because I'm in agony with this fire. See, Hades is a real place, eternal damnation, away from the presence of God. Now, last week, we learned it was a good thing to be absent from the body is to what? Be present with the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. But if you're an unbeliever without Christ, to be absent from the body, we see in this scripture verse, is, to be, is the beginning of suffering. As soon as someone closes their eyes and they have not accepted the offering of Jesus Christ, the free gift, they will enter into the beginning of suffering. This is where we get a glimpse right now of the unspeakable torment that happens in hell. If you study out scripture verse, hell is called many things. It's called a fiery furnace. We don't understand what that means. I don't believe it's an all-consuming fire like God. I believe it's a fire of torment. Uh, it also means burning sulfur. The Bible says that hell will be a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth and wailing. 
You ever heard people say, like on movies or stuff, a party, hey, we're all going to party in hell, right? It's going to be a party in hell. Well, there'll be plenty of company in hell, but there will not be a party in hell. The Bible says that hell is this. It's a place of isolation. We know many will go to hell, but the person will be complete isolation, alone, away from the presence of God. The Bible says that hell is outer, outer darkness. There's no light, there's no people, and there's no hope away from the presence of God. The angel describes in Revelations 14 to John a little bit more about hell, and he says this. He said, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. See, God is a God of justice, and we have an opportunity to share his truth to this world, amen? Bible goes on to say, those without Christ, they will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever and ever. That torment away from the presence of God. If you study out the word hell, the actual word hell, not Hades, that's the the temporary place, but hell, what it is, is the actual word Gehenna. And you can look that up on your own. Jesus refers to Gehenna many times in the scriptures. Gehenna is a real place in Jerusalem. It was out, I don't know if it's still there, but it was on the south of Jerusalem. And it was a place that they would burn things. And it was a continual place of burning and never stopped burning. They would put their waste in there. They would put sewage in there. They would put dead animals in there. If there was a criminal, they'd kill them, throw them into the pile of fire. There was this constant stench outside of the city that never stopped burning and never stopped stinking. And that's what hell is referred to. It was also a place that was smoldering with maggots, worms, and burning flesh. It was beyond sickening. Can you see why the devil does not want the reality of the description of hell talked about in the kingdom of God? Because he wants to take as many people through deception as he can by deceiving us to hell. And that's why God has challenged me, and it's out of my comfort zone, to teach this message, because hell is a real place that we need to save the world from. We need to awaken to this truth. And I know it's become a fairy tale. I know God has to put a revival in our soul. I know it relies on the Holy Spirit at the end of the day. But I'm praying this truth awakens on the inside of you. I'm praying the Lord gives you a dream or a vision. You're driving down your car and you feel the Holy Spirit touching you. God has to awaken his church of the realities of hell. Why? Because how you believe about eternity is how you will live today. And if we don't believe that hell is real, we will not wait wake up on fire for Jesus Christ. We'll have no accountability, no reason to live the way God's called us to live. Amen? Say, God, awaken me. Well, you guys aren't serious. You're like, it's awkward. <laughs> if you go on, more study. I found a commentary talking about hell. And next week, we're going to get to heaven. Y'all will be happy. But this is good news. Amen? There's a commentary I found, and it said this. One translation said that hell is a place... Um, It's a land of no more, no more beauty, no more laughter, no more peace, no friendships, no joy, no hope, and no second chances. That is such a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? So hard. In Luke 16, the rich man cried out after all of this story. He said this, 
He answered, then I beg you, Father, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they do not also come to this place of torment. Here's a man burning in hell, and we'll learn just a little bit about him in a minute. But he said, you've got to tell my family the truth. I was deceived. I didn't make the right choice. But please go tell my family that hell is real, and I don't want him there. Our responsibility as the church is to tell our friends and our families, we need to be the voice of Jesus in this lost and dying world, because I don't want my family to go to hell. I don't I don't want my loved ones to go to hell. I don't want my coworkers to go to hell. And if the church isn't speaking the truth, we're not doing our job. We have got to be the church, amen? We got to get on fire again. We got to fall in love with Jesus again. Not that we don't love him, but we've been lulled to sleep in this comfort, sweet by and by. Give me more comfort in life. Make me more happy if I could just have this. And God says, seek me first. I'll give you all of that. But you got to know the reality of hell. He said, I beg you, please do something to reach my family because there's no more second chances. I remember, and I shared this story a few weeks ago. I'll never forget it. When I was like 20 years old, the Lord called me to go into one of the city officials' homes. I worked for the city of Beloit. And he was diagnosed with cancer. And the Lord said, go share the gospel with him. He's dying. And the Lord gave me a word and said, but you'll be met with opposition. I was young. I'm like, oh, that ain't really true. I'm going to give him Jesus. You know, I'm just so ready on fire. And I walked up and they slammed the door in my face. And I remember at 20, walking down his driveway, his sidewalk, weeping. And I realized that we don't know all of what hell's about, but at 20, I realized if he doesn't accept Jesus in the midnight hour, which I prayed for him every day that he would have an encounter with God, amen, but if he didn't, all I could think was hell could be that regret. Why didn't I just say yes? Why didn't I just surrender my flesh? Why didn't I believe in that Savior? If I could just turn back time, amen, and say yes, it could rescue me from this torment of hell forever. There's three things I want to show you from this, or four things really quick this morning from this lesson that you have to understand that about hell. And one is this, the rich man was fully conscious and aware in hell. He knew his family members. He knew what he was missing. He knew he was alone. He knew the mistakes that he made. It didn't change anything. The torment was he remembered it all. He had the pain of regret. I didn't even think about this story when I was 20 and how the Lord showed me that. The second thing of the lesson from the other side is the rich man's eternal destiny was irrevocably fixed. There was nothing he could do to change where he was at. It was over. There's no second chances in heaven or hell, is there? And how we know that is because he didn't ask to be taken out of hell. There's something in this story that we see that when he died, he reconciled to the fact he deserved to be there. There was no cry for help. There was no cries for second chances. It was a cry for those who were still breathing air on earth, but not for himself. Number three, apparently the rich man knew that his suffering was just, which I talked about. Something inside of him settled because he never complained. He never said, this is injustice. He never said, God, why do you have me here? He resided to some fact that this is what I deserved. This is the choice that I made in my life, which is torment in itself. Number four, the rich man begged and pleaded for someone else to help his other brothers know Jesus. So he will know the pain 
See, we studied earlier that the Bible says that wide is the road. We've got to be so careful in our walk with Jesus that we just don't have wide is the road. My friends are good people. God would never send them to hell. Is hell really real? We can't open that wide because that leads to destruction. You have to be bold in your faith in the times we are coming into the kingdom of God. Amen? You've got to know Jesus. You've got to know the message of the cross. You've got to know where you're res- rescuing them from. Because if the devil can deceive you, you'll live your life however you want. And you'll never live rising up, sharing Jesus. You'll never live loving the world. You'll rarely share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to break that culture mentality that everybody is okay because they're not okay. God is a just God and he loves, but he is a just God, amen? We have this moment here on earth to share the love of God to those that we have in our life. God is love, but he's also a God that is just and he is holy and he is coming back for his church. And he's coming back for those who know him, obey him, love him, serve him. Not perfect, but know him. I'm going to share these verses with you today because I want this truth to come into your heart. And that maybe you've heard them a hundred times, but I'm praying they'll become revelation to you. Reignite your fire for God once again. Reignite that flame. And the scriptures in the Bible, John 3, 16 I'm just going to read these through this morning, three of them quickly. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That's the God of love. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Thank you, Jesus. For the wages of our sin is death. It's what I deserve, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, my Lord. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for me while I was still in my sin, while I was still unforgiven, when I wasn't good enough, when I wasn't worthy, he still died for me. And since we have been made right in the sight of God by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. That is the message of the good news, amen. That is the hope of Jesus Christ. He said, the shepherd, he may have a hundred sheep, but if there's one that goes astray, I'm going to leave the 91, nine, and I'm going to search after the one, amen. Jesus didn't come for the perfect, he came for the sinners. Jesus didn't come for the healthy, he came for the sick, amen. Jesus didn't come for perfect, he came for the broken. Jesus came for the world. And the church has got to stop playing church and we got to be the church. We got to be a light on a hill that cannot be hidden, amen. We got to shine Jesus, Jesus, Jesus everywhere we go. Not be perfect, but be about Jesus. (laughs) The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief does. And he'll be thrown in that lake of fire. We talked about Hades, all those that are in Haiti right now that didn't choose Jesus. God will throw Hades, scripture says, right into that Gehenna. He'll throw them right into hell. That's why we want people to know him. Amen? That's why. 
not just to avoid the eternal hell, but also to experience the goodness and the glory of our Savior. Why do we talk about hell today? Because what you believe about eternity will determine the choices you make today. Amen? Go ahead and stand to your feet this morning. Hallelujah. Just everyone close your eyes. I'm right on time this morning. I just want to take a moment for the presence of God to touch your heart. Father God, I thank you for everyone here this morning. I thank you, God, that you had them planted here to hear this word. Lord, whatever truth they heard, whatever scripture, Lord God, touched their heart today, Lord, I ask that you breathe life into that truth. God, breathe life and revelation into the things that stood out to us today, God. We will be accountable, Father God, with being the bearers of the good news of Jesus Christ. God, I thank you that you are awakening your church. You're awakening this church, Father God, with the good news of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the wind of revival that's going to sweep through our church in this city, Father God. It'll be a movement, God, that will reach this world with hope and joy and peace and prosperity, Father God. And I thank you that we will be the hands and we will be the feet of Jesus Christ in this season, God. Remove our apathy, God. Remove our comfort zones, Father God. We bind the enemy in the name of Jesus. We don't want to be lulled to sleep, Father God. We're not going to wake up in disappointment and troubled by our own things, but we're going to rise up as the church, God. We're going to rise up with boldness and courage and power and manifestation of of your glory, Father God, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I just hear the Lord say, signs, wonders, and miracles need to follow your life, says the Lord. The Lord says, I'm igniting your hands with fire. I'm igniting you with the fire of my spirit, says the Lord. And the Lord says, I'm sending you out like the foxes of tails that were lit on fire that took out a field. The Lord says, I'm going to set you on fire, and you're going to go into this city. You're going to go into your jobs. You're going to go into your families, and you're going to have a boldness and a courage to share the good news of Jesus. I thank you, God, for the courage that's rising up in this church, God. We are warriors for you, God. We are on fire for you, God. We are not complacent in our walk, God. We are not deceived by the enemy, Father God, but we will recognize his tactics, and we will have ears to hear what your spirit has to say, Father God. And we thank you that this church is built on the word of God, the word of truth with no compromise, Father God. And we declare, God, that the world will come into this hospital and find healing and deliverance and freedoms, Father God, and be transformed through your salvation and your son. This morning, if you need Jesus today, just, just say yes to him right now. We don't need to make a little prayer. I did this in first service. It's like you just, just say yes to Jesus. You know what you need to get right. You know what you need to straighten up. Just ask the Lord to forgive you of areas of your heart or your life and just say, yes, Lord, I surrender all. Just tell the Lord right now. Tell him to burn that fire on the inside of you to awaken his love and his purpose. God, I decree visions. I decree dreams. I decree, God, as they're driving in their cars, Holy Spirit, you will capture them right where they're at in the name of Jesus. Let us have an encounter with you, Holy Spirit, with your fire, with your power, with your authority. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray.
Amen and amen. Give the Lord a great big praise this morning. If you need a Bible, we have two wonderful workers up here. Make your way on up. We want to meet you. We want to pray with you, give you a Bible. Otherwise, next week's on heaven, everybody. So it's going to be a wonderful Sunday. I love you all. God bless you. We'll see you then.